0: Welcome to The Property Perspective, a podcast by Knight Frank Australia. We'll share expert analysis from industry leaders, focus on key trends and forecasts, and bring you the latest topics shaping Australia's property market. And thank you for joining us. I am here with Tim Holtzbaum, James Mannix, and Ben Burston, and we're going to be discussing global living sectors with then a bit of a laser focus on the Australian build around. So we've talked about these sort of underlying fundamentals, and I think no one's in doubt of, of the growth potential in the market globally. Um, we've mentioned the challenges perhaps of deployment of capital. If we look at potential other challenges and familiar conversations I hear popping up in US, Europe and, and Australia now, is around kind of underwriting rental growth. And we've had some period of volatility, and Ben, maybe you can talk to that a little bit, but but also the, the conversation around rental caps and, and what, we're, what we've seen in the US markets and European markets and what that might mean for Australia, what can we expect here in the, in the next uh, three to five years? that maybe you can start
1: sure well we're seeing strong rent growth at the moment uh and you know we've seen an extraordinary period really where uh we had almost for the first time on record uh, some significant drops in the residential rents in city center markets at the outset of the pandemic when we saw students uh, going home and a cessation to uh, inward migration we've then seen you know a a rapid turnaround as students have, have come back and in the face of a, a continually subdued pipeline of build-to-sell um, traditional developments, uh, we've had you know, a, a huge imbalance, really, between demand and supply. That's driven really strong um, rent growth, which has now gone beyond making up for the, for the rent drops um, that we saw uh, in 2020. So that's uh, been the recent experience, but then historically that's quite unusual. I mean, we, we mentioned earlier how steady... Uh, things have generally been uh, and I've had a look at the Bureau of Statistics data and obviously residential rents uh, you know, are a big part of our CPI basket um, and they're part of the reason why we've got high inflation uh, at the moment uh, but it, taking a longer term perspective it's generally been pretty steady we've seen rents broadly tracking in line with inflation running slightly ahead of it in Sydney and uh, you Generally, a pretty steady experience. So, so as was the case uh, in in the U.S. in Australia, we didn't see, we haven't seen much of a drop in rents in either you know, during the financial crisis or previous recessions. It tends to be a pretty steady growth trajectory with the growth rates well aligned with inflation, which is another contrast with other sectors which tend to be more idiosyncratic and have their own uh, demand and supply cycles, which can be a bit more which can be a bit more aggressive. So seeing a lot of growth at the moment uh, and so people can be pretty confident, um, you know, factoring in you know, probably above inflation rent growth the next couple of years, but then broadly you'd expect it's going to come back uh, in line with the wider inflation rate.
0: And the rental cap discussion, Tim, what, what are your views on where that might land? And James, maybe you can give us a view from other regions as well. And I
2: think it's very... It's a very topical conversation at the moment because we are coming off such aggressive double-digit rent growths in all of our major city centres. So I think it's a valid conversation to be having, but I don't think it's a a conversation from, from a long-term perspective um, that probably needs to be had if we go back to what Ben's talked about, that we're going to track along just above inflation, or there are thereabouts. Um, but these wild swings in where rent growths can sit um, tends to have a bit of a negative and may shine the spotlight on sectors like build to rent. Um, but I am I think the discussions of, of rent caps start to be a bit contradictory to some of the other efforts that you know, state government, federal government are trying to make to actually stimulate the sector. So in on one hand, we're saying we want this and it's a solution to an affordability issue that we may have here. Um, but on another hand, if, if rent caps come in, it may inhibit inhibit the growth of the sector.
1: I think it depends how, how it's implemented. I think if it was, um, you know, obviously we, we can envisage a scenario where there's a hard cap at a low level which just turns off development. Now, you, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd like to think um, that no government would be uh, silly enough to, to do that given it would undercut their other objectives to promote supply, but, you know, if it's were it to be implemented, if it was done so in a way which allowed the market to function within its normal parameters, and once we get back to a more normal environment where inflation is lower and rent growth is lower, um, then if it was done sensibly, you know, perhaps it wouldn't be um, as much of a, of, of a fear for, for the investors who've probably seen this sort of thing in other parts of the
3: world anyway. Uh, I think that's right, Ben. I mean, I, I, would, I, I would say... Uh, I, I would say that extraordinary rent rises are in part a future of a lack of supply. Um, and, and so, particularly in a formative market like the UK or, or, or Australia, I think it would be entirely the wrong time to be talking about uh, rent control because it, it will, to some degree, uh, curtail, uh, curtail supply. Um, it's, it's relatively unattractive on the whole for, uh, for, for capital because uh, b- because it opens a, it opens a box... Uh, which may then change over time um so but equally um e- equally we could wish that the debate doesn't take place but i think that would be unrealistic i think it will always take place um particularly as a larger degree of the voting population are in rental accommodation professionally managed rental accommodation and i i c- i kind of feel it's incumbent on uh, on the professional landlords to act in a responsible manner when I look over in America, uh, some of the markets there have gone up by 30% in terms of rent increases over the last year, and, and certainly landlords have taken advantage of that, and they have put the rents up by 30%. Um, and at a time where there's cost of living squeeze pretty well across the world, um, optically uh, and, and actually for individuals, it's incredibly hard, um, and, and is inviting, uh, you know, if not actual regulation is it's certainly inviting debate around regulation
2: yeah, and i don't think the governments are you know, unjust in looking after the general public around the cost of living piece and ensuring that they're they're getting a fair go here in australia in terms of where that ren- rental crisis is and you, we're hearing some really quite scary anecdotal um comments around the supply piece and what people are having to do to find accommodation what they're having to resort to, you know, people with jobs that are camping in parks in Brisbane and living out of vans and preferring to, you know, whether whether there's truth to those anecdotal comments, but if they're if they're being talked about, then there's a good chance some of it's is real.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a strong believer in the free market and the ability uh, the ability to you know provide sufficient supply to keep pricing honest, and I, I, I do think that's got to be the target, um, got to be the target here. It's got to be the target. Um, in the UK in the 19, uh, late 60s, early 70s, we had extremely uh, aggressive um, controls on, on rent and it t- totally killed the market, which really, frankly, hasn't come back until the last 10 years or so.
0: But isn't a lot of it, Tim, coming down to the nuances of the Australian market, like high land cost in, in say, Sydney, high construction costs, so the, the BTR being developed is at that higher end of the scale, that's sort a of luxury product. Just to, just to make it stack. I mean, is it does it work to do a um, a more affordable product at the moment?
2: I think it does. I think if we look to markets like the UK, for example, the early BTR um, schemes that come into a market are typically focused on that aspirational style product. But very quickly, I think that then translates into, from a stability of income point of view, or from the from the best. Performance assets tend to sit in that mid-market product but how do you get mid-market how do you get btr assets into the mid-market i think we've been discussing it at length over the last few days james that it tends to happen at scale where you can actually have um, multi-stage developments truncated down a mix of build to rent build to sell community style development um, where developers won't be afraid to take on projects of you know 1,000 1500 units in one go
3: think that's right, and and the uh, in fact we're seeing quite a high degree of interest in investment in um, certainly what people see as non-competing uh, uh, investment classes within residential. So kind of senior affordable affordable is incredibly popular because you know the security of income is obviously extremely high, um, and the ability to compress uh, development timetables by putting the different uses in alongside each other. But in talking to the Twenty-five
2: odd developers, operator managers that are active in the space in the market at the moment. I mean, they're telling us that they can get schemes to stack in mid markets, um, but it's really they're, they're being you know, somewhat inhibited by the willingness of their capital partners to venture into those markets until some of the core markets have been
3: proven up, so to speak. I think I think that's right. I mean, I I, I suspect there isn't a particular sub market. Um, in in Australia, where there isn't uh, where there isn't occupational demand to fill fill a block, and, and certainly that's what we're finding in, in the UK, um, and uh, and I think it, it very quickly uh, interests what, you know people get comfortable with uh, you know people came into the UK, investors came into the UK, they were super interested in London. It's such an easy sell to someone who's not in the UK. And and say okay, well we've done London. Where else can we go? So then we go to Birmingham or to Manchester or Leeds or somewhere like that. Um, and then beyond that, out to you know Manchester, we sold a block in Bury which is you you will have never heard of it. It's outside uh, outside of Manchester. Um, we, we we anticipated that that would be a block populated by people commuting into Manchester for work. The reality was that it was it, it populated entirely by people who lived and worked in Bury which is. Not a well-known place outside of Manchester, but it supports uh, supports uh, a yeah, very good uh, a very good multi-family block. So you just end up in a sort of build it and they will come scenario. Indeed, yeah.
1: I think that that conversation about uh, rental shortages and the negative social consequences of that, and indeed, you know, your initial question, Emily, about rent caps, I think that goes to the you know the reason why we want to encourage a new model in Australia. Um, in the first place. And so um, I think it would be you know, short-sighted to put in place anything that would stop that. I think, I think governments have, pro- without stating it, I think they probably recognise that they just need to allow the new sector to take a footing, see where it goes. And then if we do see a strong take-up, strong tenant feedback, then maybe there's the potential to sort of start to Um, You bring in some more requirements in certain places in terms of affordable housing a little bit further down the line. But I think for now, I certainly think the fundamental reason why we've had those issues is a lack of mid-market supply because the lack of mid-market supply translates down to more negative consequences at the lower end of the market. And I think to date, uh, obviously, we've got roughly 30% of people renting, uh, a lot of very fragmented ownership base of private landlords, and that model has been popular in Australia. It's favourable from a tax perspective and that, and that will continue, but at the moment it's not delivering us enough supply. So um, I think that the it, it leads to a bit of a more cyclical pipeline. So when investors are confident in the capital growth outlook, they will uh, undertake, they'll, they'll, they'll the developers will get the pre-sales on the new developments. That'll bring forward a strong pipeline of supply. We saw that in the last cycle 2017-18 a really high level of supply but since then the pipeline has faded away Um, and so with that resumption of population growth and inward migration uh, and at a time last year when we had interest rates rising so investors despite the fact that rents were really rising strongly they weren't confident in the capital growth outlook so they haven't been um, buying the apartments in such a way to give us a pipeline and so we need a new model. So it's not, by no means, we were starting from uh, ground zero, if you like it, by no means is that going to quickly take the place of the existing uh, ownership or the, invest, or the investment opportunity there for private investors. But we need, um, you know, to, 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 to allow um, an institutional product to come into the market uh, because the supply of it will be more linked to that underlying tenant base.
0: Yeah, and you... You touched on affordable housing there and and I think at the moment in Australia there's a lack of clarity from the government around affordable housing policy and I suppose it's to your point that they're waiting for that kind of growth and stability in the sector but before that policy comes through and in the UK probably there was a similar sort of journey where it got to a certain point of scale in the market before there was that more direct provision put in place around affordable housing.
3: That's right. Uh, uh, it it was. It, it's localised in the UK. So if I take um, if I take Birmingham for example, uh, we were we were getting consents in Birmingham eight nine years ago with no affordable housing provision simply because there had been no development. And uh, as you said, Ben, it's you, you have to you have to let this sector get some legs in order to uh, reap the benefits of it, which is obviously abundant, good quality supply of, of housing for people. Um, and and as you, you've suggested, Emily, that the, the, once that's happened, then you can kind of find a balance as to what the sector might be able to afford or provide for in, in, in terms of affordable housing. Um, th- th- there is, there is, an, attraction, there is an, an attraction for investors, particularly the very institutional ones, to provide some affordable housing anyway, because the security of income is extraordinarily high with affordable housing. Sometimes it's underwritten by local or central governments. Um, it also uh, fulfills a social purpose, and, and they're, they're, they're very orientated around ESG um, and, and the narrative that that gives back to their stakeholders. Um, so, so that's an important part of their story. So actually, there is, there's an attraction to it. But need to let the sector get some legs and figure out w- what it looks like financially yeah. uh, in advance of going in with that. I think on the affordable
2: housing piece we tend to think of affordable housing being only high density um, apartment style living whereas if you look at say the broader living sectors if you were to take the manufactured housing estates or the land lease communities that are being developed here in Australia and that is an affordable product for a sub sector of the market which is kind of the over 55s, over sixty five's market and you know that's a sector that's absolutely booming and a wonderful asset class in that effectively you're building housing estates uh on a long-term ground rent scenario and selling off houses um to investors that get to keep 100 percent of the purchase pro or sale prices and when they trade out of those assets and they pay an estate charge through the ground rent piece but it's a wonderful asset class um Seems to be coming into Australia more
3: and more. Yeah, I mean that 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 very very high security of income is is is, is extraordinarily attractive mm-hmm. for sure. And you know, on the, on the um, you, you're talking about the uh, you know the the different forms of housing, and we're, we're doing about in the UK about 30, 30 to forty percent of the deals that have been done over the last uh, twelve months in the UK have been for single family housing, and and that that's kind of um, so that's housing outside of town with a front drive and a back garden um, people are raising families sending their kids to school commuting into town and, and so forth so really a reflection of the fact that a there's demand now for for that kind of housing in the rental market but secondly um, the, the people are staying in rental accommodation for much longer they they're, they're they're young and they're single and they're in rental housing and they probably come out of a, a student block which was uh, institutionally provided and uh, and then they're getting married and they're having kids and they're still in rented accommodation and um and, and so the the demographic demand uh, for that 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 kind of asset uh, is going to be uh, in, increasing over the next 10 to 15 years
0: so cradle to grave renting that's that's the future is it Potentially. okay well actually that's a good segue on to maybe to finish off if we can have a bit of a future gaze let's say in the next in the decade ahead James what does what does the global living sector look like
3: so I, th- I think looking at it globally um, uh, it's going to be the largest asset class in the world uh, from a real estate p- perspective for sure uh, I think we'll see increasing specialization uh, in the market we'll see increasingly refined uh, Product, I think, uh, the, as we've touched on regulation, but I think the governments will look, be looking very closely at it as a greater proportion of the voting public is is sitting in it, and there there needs to be a balance between making it sufficiently attractive for institutions to come into the sector, while at the same time providing a level of protection uh, for the tenants to avoid, um, I guess, years like last year, where they could have extraordinary rent rises. Um, and I, I just think it's the most exciting sector over the next 10 to 15 years we're, we're, it's going to be an incredible journey. Um, I think it's particularly exciting in the formative markets uh, where there's so far to go. And also there's an ability to look into the future with some clarity by looking uh, at what's happened in America, what's happened in the UK. Uh, and, uh, and then applying it to, to markets like Australia, which are, are, are even further at the start line.
0: Yeah, Tim. Ben, just given the last few days we've had learning about the, the UK market, what are your kind of predictions for the, for the decade ahead?
2: Well, I think having the ability to, to future gaze into a market that's more advanced than ours, I think our path to scale is going to be expedited, which I think is exciting. Um, I think the ingredients are all here. The trailblazers over the last sort of four to five years that have actually set businesses up when things didn't necessarily make a huge amount of sense and now we're starting to see some legislation changes and and that that pathway kind of smoothed out for the investors coming into the market. So we've got potentially, as you and I know, M, a wall of capital looking to enter the market. We've got the ingredients here of the of the 25, 27 developers, maybe more, maybe less in the future who want to deliver stock. who have showed they have patience and they have persistence. So I think nothing but positive things to come out of our market and hopefully as we move further into the process the the planning pathway becomes easier as local governments, state governments start to understand more about the product and what it can do for the broader population.
1: And I think the conversation will move on from um, one that's been somewhat confused over the past decade. I think governments at all levels have been wondering... You know, is this a sector that we should be encouraging? And coming back to your point on 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 cradle to grave renting, I think there's a lot of fear. there's fear of that in Australia. And as from from government, there was a sense that you know maybe we shouldn't support this sector. I think there's a sense from planners, um, you know, where does this this doesn't naturally fit within our existing policies? And then I think from institutions, they were probably looking at the the former government's attitude being somewhat sceptical and looking at the MIT, the the, the tax treatment and and, and, and you know wondering is, is this a sector for them I think though you know some of those issues have been clarified I think now there's greater confidence as we look ahead and I think um, that, you know there's a realization that it has a place it's not going to um, take away the investment opportunities for private investors it's not going to um, take away the opportunity for people to own their own home but it has a place within the mix and I think the conversation will move away from those that, that confused discussion around should we be doing it uh, from all levels to one that, as we see the first schemes delivered and a positive tenant experience that I would expect to arise out of that, um, that, I, that I expect that that confusion will clear, that there'll be confidence in the path ahead and the belief that this is an important part of the mix in Australia going forward with, with community benefits.
0: Excellent. So a transformational decade ahead globally and and in Australia. Brilliant. Thank you very much uh, all for, for discussing with me this morning and, and thank you very much for listening. Before you go, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on the next episode of The Property Perspective when we'll be back to share our take on more key trends and topics shaping Australia's property market. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or visit our website at nightfrank.com.au for more information. Thanks for tuning in. It may be the end of the show, but we're always your partners in property.